I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 130. So we're continuing our series, um, Summer in the Psalms, and I shared with you a little bit last week about uh, coming back from Ecuador and just kind of what was, what was resonating in my mind. And as we were sitting there singing these songs this morning, um, I, I, I started thinking some of the same thoughts, and this time I started thinking about um, South Africa, because um, I told you last week, and, and this isn't necessarily a knock on us, but it's the truth of it, is that sometimes we approach the scriptures with a very American version of Christianity. Um, and that's just, that's just part, of our, part of our culture. For some, it's part of how we grew up. Um, and so we're singing songs along the lines of, you know, we see the evidence of your goodness. And a lot of times the way that we define goodness is, is very much an American definition of goodness, right? We define goodness as, you know, we, we have a nice home, we're able to have a car, we're able to have jobs, we're able to, all of those things. Like, that's our definition of goodness. And so we're saying, hey, um, I'm seeing your hand and the evidence of your goodness all throughout my life. But here's the thing. And what you begin to realize is as you look around the world, um, there's a whole different definition of seeing the goodness of God around the world. Whole different definition. And so if you were to visit George, South Africa, which, by the way, we're coming next year, right? So we're going to go next year. So if you want to go to South Africa, let's get signed up and start going. But if you were to go to George, South Africa, uh, there was 14 of us that went to Ecuador. We have a team that leaves uh, in about 11 days to go to Costa Rica, um, and we're going to serve there. And, and if you were to begin to talk to people in those parts of the world, their definition of God's goodness is a lot different than our definition of God's goodness. Now, they believe in God's goodness, and I believe that they would sing that song that we sang, and they would say, yes, I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, but it's, it's just, it looks different than it does in America. It just looks different. So recently, I, I, I will uh, make a confession, I, I don't necessarily binge watch a lot of stuff, but um, I, I, um, I was in a place this past week, my wife and I had gotten away, I was doing some preparation for the fall and some things like that, and um, we didn't have internet service, which was very frustrating, so we had to watch cable TV. Does anybody know, know what that is anymore, right? So we watched cable TV. And, uh, and we couldn't find really anything to watch. So we started watching uh, this show called To Catch a Smuggler. Uh, has anybody watched this before? Thank you, John. Anybody out? John Little, we'll talk about it later, okay? So it's a very fascinating show, okay? And there's actually several different places around the world where this is happening. And basically it's a story of what's happening in airports as they try to catch people who are smuggling drugs, right? So that's just what I've been watching. And here's why I tell you this story. I tell you this story because as I'm watching it and I'm seeing some of the things that are happening around the world and, and their desperation is so different than our desperation. So in particular, what, what's happening is in, in parts of the world, these folks have nowhere else to turn in, in a lot of ways, right? They, they can't get a job. Some of them have been unemployed for, for a couple of years. They don't know what else to do, and somebody approaches them to take this suitcase, right, to Europe or something, and so they're trying to smuggle all of these, you know, drugs or other contraband, those types of things, and, and then the, the whole idea is they're going to get caught, right, and then they're going to kind of dig into their life a little bit. 
they're going to ask some questions. Most of them don't want to really tell you what's happening. But the few, the few that actually let you into their story a little bit, you realize that their desperation is so different than our desperation. And I believe that's true just around the world. And, and, and here's why I'm sharing that with you. If you turn to Psalm 130, the, the psalmist starts really, really simply in this particular way. And we're, this is towards the end of what would be the, the psal, Psalms of Ascent. Um, and what those are is that as people were going up to Jerusalem, these would be songs that they would be singing along the way. Right? So they're on this, this pilgrimage of sorts or this journey, and they're going to Jerusalem. They would be singing these songs, and they would, they would sing them over and over and over again, and over and over and over again, which I say that for those of you who think we sing the same songs and repeat the same things over and over and over again, that it's not new. It's actually from the Psalms. Okay, so uh, just throwing that out there. But here's how it starts in Psalm 130. He says this, From the depths of despair, O Lord, I called for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord, and pay attention to my prayer. And so I started thinking about that in particular. I started thinking about, you know, how would we, how would you, how would I, how how would we define despair for us? And I, and I would imagine that our definition of despair is different than the psalmist's definition of despair. I would think that our definition of despair is going to be different than in some other places around the world in their definition of despair. The, but the reality of it is we all, we all probably at some point in our life are going to wind up in this place of despair. Despair meaning kind of this feeling of hopelessness. This feeling of hopelessness. This feeling of, of um, nobody really cares about my situation and nobody cares about my circumstances. And, and really the question for, for all of us, right, it, because our lives are a little bit different and everybody in the room, our life is a little bit different, is w- when you get to that place of feeling hopeless, where are you going to turn? Where are you going to turn? And see, the reality of it is for, for all of us, like we, we all have this natural tendency, right? We all have a natural tendency like this is, who, this is how I'm wired. And so this is where I turn when I'm in those, those times of despair, right? So, so for some people, they get to this place of despair and, and they might turn, they might just turn inwardly. And, and what I mean by that is they might just kind of sit and sulk in some ways. Like they're just sitting and, and they're really uh, living in that moment in, in this woe is me type of mindset. And, and you probably know people like that. You may actually be one of those people. I know I've gotten to that place at several different times in my life where it's just like woe is me and feeling sorry for myself and all of those things. Look at what's happening to me and all of my circumstances and is it ever going to stop? Is it ever going to end? And, and you just turn inwardly. Uh, For some people, they get to the place of despair and that feeling of hopelessness, and they might turn to um, something else, meaning like they might turn to alcohol. They they might turn to drugs. They they might turn to pornography. They might turn to uh, tobacco. Like there's all of these different um, little crutches that are out there in the world, aren't there? And so when you get to that point of despair, it's like, Where is it that you have a tendency to turn in your life? Because all of us have a tendency to turn somewhere. Some of you, it's, it's that I just turn to myself and not, not in a, a, a kind of feeling sorry for myself, but like I can get myself up out of this mess all by myself. 
And some of you have like that kind of a determination in your life. It's like, I don't need anybody. I don't want anybody. I'm just going to kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to figure this out all by myself. Um, and that's kind of how you are. But, but as a follower of Jesus, now here's where it should change for every one of us. As a follower of Jesus, when you get to that place of feeling like you're in a place of despair, you, you need to get yourself to a place where your natural, right, your natural tendency is to turn to him. And to be able to say, along with the psalmist, is I, I have turned to you, right, from the depths of despair, O Lord, I call to you for help. He goes on, hear my cry, O Lord, pay attention to my prayer. So if you are someone who fills in the blanks, I got a few blanks for you today. And so this is, this is the first one, right? The depths of despair, the depths of despair create a seemingly insurmountable distance between us and God, right? A seemingly insurmountable, and I, and I phrase it that way because, because I want you to see something, is um, in, in a lot of our lives, we get to that place of despair, and, and we feel like there's this insurmountable distance. We feel like God is so far out there that he doesn't care about me, and he doesn't care about what's going on in my life, and, and why is it that he is so far? And so it seems, it's not, right, we're going to get to that at the very end, it's not an insurmountable distance, but it feels like it is. It feels like it is, especially, especially, especially if in your despair you turn to something, right, that would be sin. That, that's, that's what happens. We, we turn, instead of turning to God, we're turning. Now, sin can be pride. It can be just a self-reliance and self-determination. It can be, you know, a sinful pattern that you go back to in your life. It could be any of those types of things. And when you do that, like this distance seems so far away. And that's how the psalmist would feel. In fact, I mentioned last week when we were looking at um, Psalm 121, you know, one of the things that you realize is that um, there's a lot of people who believe in some kind of a God that's out there in the world. And for a lot of people, what they believe about that God is that that God is not personal. They believe that there's a God that's out there or a higher power or a supreme being of some kind but they, they believe that that God is out there somewhere in the distance or in the expanse or way up in the heavens, right? And he, doesn't, he doesn't really take note of what's happening to me in my circumstances. And, and what the psalmist does in this particular place and in other places as well is he helps us to bridge the gap, right, when God seems so far away. And he makes it personal. So he's inviting, he's asking for this, this God. In particular here, it's Yahweh. He's asking for him, like, listen to me. Hear my prayer, right? Pay attention to me. I know that you're not far off, even though it seems like you might be far off. I know that you're not. So please listen. So th then the question for us becomes, so how about you? In the midst of what you're facing today in your life, where do you turn? And, and even if it's not like all, all of the pieces of, uh, of your life are falling apart, maybe there's just specific things that are happening in your life. Maybe it, maybe it has to do with your kids or your grandkids, or maybe it is your job, or maybe it's, um, you know, maybe your finances, the retirement piece. We've talked about that a little bit recently. Like may, maybe it's just little pieces that, that begin to fall apart. And so the question becomes, when, when that begins to happen, when those dominoes begin to fall, so to speak, where do you turn? 
Do you have a tendency to turn to somebody or something other than your Heavenly Father? Because the invitation, especially when you get into, we, we celebrated communion last week, right? So this, this new covenant that we have, this, this new relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father is one where it is very much a, a personal relationship between you and God. And God is inviting you, He's inviting you to have the kind of conversation like the psalmist. He's inviting you to turn to Him, to talk to Him. When things don't go exactly like you think they should, right? When, when, there's, when there's issues in a family. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my guess is there are about half of us in this room, we have some sort of a family issue. Um, not necessarily in your marriage, but maybe it's like with your parents or your siblings or like there's something there. And, and I know we've had it in my family as well. And it's like that, that, that gets there and it begins to eat at you. Well, the question becomes like, where are you turning when those things are happening in your life? How, how about, you know, finances and how about your job and how about like all of these things? And, and really the invitation from your heavenly father is like you, you can go to him. He, in fact, he wants you to go to him. He, he doesn't want you to trust in anything else. He says in Proverbs 3, 20, 3 5, uh, 5 and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And so there's that invitation to say you can trust him. You may not like it, right? You, you may not like what's going on, but you can trust him. You can trust that as we sang several of these songs, you know, you can trust him that uh, you will see a victory that comes when you keep following Jesus. You can trust him in that you will see his goodness all over your life, even when the dominoes are falling and it doesn't quite look like you want it to look like. But I know despair creates a seemingly insurmountable distance between us and God. Now, this is where he goes in verses three and four, okay? He says this, he says, um, Lord, and this is so good, by the way. This is so, so good what he says here. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, oh Lord, could ever survive? Now, some, some of you are going, he's writing that about me, right? That's, he's writing it about all of us. And, and see, part of, part of our problem is that we kind of compare ourselves to other people. And we, we, we think that we're relatively good people. And so it's like, well, you know, I, I'm, relatively, I'm a relatively good person. And, and we don't see the depth of our sin, right? We don't see the depth of our sin. So if you kept a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? But you offer, here it is, you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. A couple things. First is this, if you're filling the blank, sin, two words, is disruptive and destructive. Sin is disruptive. Okay, let's talk about disruptive for a minute. Um, disruptive in that it, it disrupts your, your relationships in particular. That's how I would define it. It begins by disrupting your relationship with your Heavenly Father because you've, you've, you've allowed this to come into your life, right? And so there is, there is a disruption there. It, it disrupts your relationships with other people. Um, so if in your life you're someone that, that when you turn to sin, I mean, let's just, let's just all, let's have a conversation right now if you're married in the room, right? So if you're married in the room, um, when was the last time that you had an argument with your spouse and it, and it happened because one of you was not being selfish? 
right? I, I know that's true in my life. You know, you say something you shouldn't say. Anybody ever say something they know they shouldn't have said in an argument with their spouse? Just me, okay? I'm, I'm okay, I can own that. But, but that's what happens, and what, what is that? Well, w- when you do that, that that's called sin, and when you, when you hold on to that selfishness in your marriage or in any other relationship, you don't even have to be married. It can be your friendships and whatever. When you hold on to selfishness, right, when you hold on to that, that's sin, and it disrupts the relationship between you and your spouse. And all of a sudden, you're wondering why three days goes by. It's like, I don't know why she won't talk to me. Well, because you're being selfish, and you should stop it. Just throwing that out there. That's like free marriage advice. That's just, that's because you came today, right? But, but that's what we're talking about. It's, it's sin is disruptive. It disrupts our relationships. It, it, it disrupts, you know, so many other parts of our life, doesn't it? It's like when, when those things start happening, it doesn't feel like anything's going quite the way that it should. Sin is also destructive. Now, we know that as well. So not only does it disrupt the relationships, but if you continue to hold on to it, then, then it can get to this place of actually destroying those relationships. You know, you, 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 we all have those choices, don't we? When, when we're walking in relationships with other people, and it can be family, it can be friends, it can be spouses, like any of that kind of stuff, is like the longer that you hold on to sin in, in your life, that not only the more destructive, uh, dis- disruptive, but the more destructive that it becomes in those relationships. And, and so the psalmist, as he's writing this, he's going, he's realizing, right? Because we get to this place of despair in our life, and it comes from a, it comes from a variety of different places. Uh, sometimes we get to the depths of despairs because of what's happening, what's happening to us. And oftentimes what's happening to us is the result of sin in somebody else's life, isn't it? You realize that? Like you look around and you're like, well, this is happening to me because of, of something that somebody did to me. And so you may want to take revenge. I don't know kind of how you're feeling about any of that kind of stuff. But, but it can get you to that depth of despair. Uh, sometimes it's just your circumstances. Matt mentioned their family had quite a June, right? Um, and, and we've probably all had Junes in our life, haven't we? And sometimes it's like, you know, it's like, man, the hits just keep on coming with this stuff. It's like, you know, all of this stuff is happening. It's not a result of really anybody's sin. It's just, it's just life unfolding in front of you. And as life is unfolding in front of you, man, it's like, boom, boom, boom. How many more hits can I take? And you feel that way. And it can drive you to that place of despair. Going, man, I feel, I feel hopeless in all of this. And when you turn, right, that's, that's where the invitation from, from the psalmist is. And he, he recognizes this thing of sin and its, its disruptive and destructive pattern. But then he talks about this word forgiveness. This word forgiveness. Uh, the forgiveness of sin teaches us to fear the Lord. That's, that's essentially what he says in, in verse 4. He says, but you, you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you now this word fear we've talked about this before but this word fear becomes just such an interesting word in our in our culture and it's always you know we translate it fear but it's it's not really fear in terms of being afraid 
It's not that we, we get to this place of being afraid of the Lord. In fact, what, what you should see in verses 3 and 4 is, is that you don't need to be afraid. Because why? Because in him there is the forgiveness of all of our sins, right? If he kept a record of wrong, O oh Lord, who could stand? And, and really what we're getting to is that, oh, he doesn't keep a record of wrong. You see, we're used to human relationships, aren't we? So how many of you have ever been in a fight with your spouse and they bring up something that happened a couple of years ago? That ever happened to you guys? Right? And, and so it's like that. You're, really, you're, we're going to talk about that again. I thought we had kind of moved past that. You realize, what well, we didn't move past it. Right? Well, that's not the, that God's not like that. God's going, no, I, I don't keep a record of wrong. He's not bringing these things up. Every time that you do something wrong, he's not like, you know what? Back in May of 2011... You know, you did the same stupid thing. That's not what he's doing. He's he's not keeping a record of wrong. He is offering you the forgiveness of all of your sins, which means he is no longer holding you, right, accountable and responsible, right, for the outcome, right, the penalty of your sin. It's like you've been absolved of it. And that's hard for a lot of us. Now, some of you, if you're coming from that Catholic background, we were down in Ecuador, we had several conversations about a Catholic background and just the guilt that comes from that. It doesn't have to be a Catholic background. It can be, man, I grew up in a legalistic church, right? So you, you got a legalistic church that's, you know, pounding like King James only and you can't go to movies and you can't play cards and you can't do any of that kind of stuff. And like, they're just kind of putting all, you, you start to wonder like, do, can, do I ever do anything Right? And you feel that way. And God's going, no, no, no. One, I don't keep a record of wrong. Two, I am offering you the forgiveness of all of your sins. Now, Old Testament, it's through a sacrificial system that they had put into place. And now we're going to talk New Testament in just a minute. But that's how it was in the Old Testament. But when you approach him, right, when you approach him and you go to that day of atonement and you offer your sacrifices, it's like wiped out. Now, you've got to go maybe a whole other year before you get to that day again, right? But it's, it's gone. There's, there's forgiveness. Now, what, what does it teach us? It, it doesn't teach us to be afraid of the Lord. See, being afraid of the Lord would be that, that we're, we're afraid of how he will punish us when we do something wrong. Now, here's the reality of it. Some of you are living that type of life right now. You're, you're waiting, or you think that what's happening to you is a punishment for something that you did that was wrong. I'll pick on Matt for a minute. So Matt could approach the June of his life of 2022, and he can look at it, and he can go, God's punishing me for something that I did, and he could spend his life searching soul searching like what did I do wrong what did I do wrong what did I do wrong that caused God to bring this on me and the reality of it is Matt you didn't you didn't do anything wrong that I know of no I'm just kidding but but there but there are a lot of folks like that's how they approach it they approach like I did these things that are wrong and so God's punishing me and and I want to tell you something let me let me just let you in to the new covenant the new covenant says that Jesus has been punished for you. For all of your sins, 
past, present, and future. Now, what does that mean? Well, that, that doesn't mean, right, that there aren't consequences when you do something wrong. Yes, there are consequences when you do something wrong. There are consequences. But, but what's happening to you in your life is not a punishment for something that you've done. And what you see with the psalmist in this particular place is like this forgiveness is driving us to fear him. And, and fear is like that, that it's that awe and reverence. It, it's, it's driving us to get to this place of maybe, maybe it's just going, oh man, wow. I, I, I can't believe that, I can't believe that you would for, forgive me like that. It's getting us to that place of, of just going, you, you are so good to me that you're, you're, not, you're not punishing me for the things that I've done. Because that's, listen, that's been taken care of on the cross of Jesus Christ, period. And, and so if you are someone and you're here today and you're like, man, I'm struggling with that, I, w- I want you to know Jesus was punished for you. Like, he took your place. God's not mad at you. God's not getting you back. God, yes, God is going to use anything that's happening in your life to mold and to shape you into the person that he wants you to become. God's going to use, you think of Joseph in the Old Testament, and we're going to go through Joseph this fall, but Joseph in the Old Testament is, is getting that place. I mean, sold into slavery by his brothers, winds up in prison, totally forgotten about in prison, winds up in front of Pharaoh, and actually has a chance at the end of his life to confront his brothers. And he says, listen, what you meant to harm me, what you meant for evil, God meant it for good. That's, that's what we're talking about in our relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's like He's using the things that happen to us to mold and shape us into the people that He desires for us to be. So it's not a motivation for us to be afraid of God. It's a motivation for us to be in awe of what He does and who He is. Okay, let's go. Uh, five and six. I am counting on the Lord. Um, yes, I am counting on Him. I have put my hope in his word. I long for the Lord more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. He repeats that, and, and I'm going to tell you what this is in a second. But, but here's, here's two things that are happening in this particular place. Um, let me just give you the fill in the blank because I'll forget. Waiting on the Lord forges an attitude of hopeful uh, expectation of hopeful expectation. Like when you have this relationship with the Lord, you're, you're walking in a way that says, I know God's up to something. Have you ever had that? Like you just know there's all of these things happening and it's like, I know God's up to something. Uh, in fact, one of the things that I, I realized, like as, as we've been walking through some things as a staff, part of that is Matt's June, uh, but there's other things that have happened with different members of our staff. And, I, and I, some days I just sit back and I go, I know God's up to something. And the reason I know he's up to something is because I'm seeing all of the things that are happening out there and I, I know that God's up to something. And it hurts and it's painful. Like all of those things are true. It doesn't discount um, the things that happen to us, but it helps us realize that what, what some people meant for evil, God, God meant for good, by the way, um, to rescue and redeem an entire nation that hadn't even been born yet. Throwing that out there with the life of Joseph. And so there's, there's, no, 
There's no Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There's no Old Testament without Joseph. You, you, you know that. So, so there's no old, so you see what God's doing. So it's like you're walking in this place of like, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord and I have this, this hopeful expectation of what he's going to do. And it may not unfold really quickly. It just, you know that he's working. He's working in the background. He's working in other people's lives and other people's hearts. And ultimately he's going to bring something to fruition. It's like, that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. That's what he was after. How exciting it is to, to get to this place. Now, um, the way that he describes it, right? So I'm counting on the Lord. It's like this determination. Um, yes, I'm counting on him. I've put my hope in his word. Now, it's the same thing. I go back to what I said last week. I've said it over and over and over again. Is that we, right, in, in especially the United States of America, we have the greatest access to the word of God that has ever been known to mankind. Ever. I mean, period. You can get it anywhere on any device. You know, I mean, you can have, you can pull up your phone. I'll have my phone with me. You can pull up the Bible app. You can have somebody read it to you in like the James Earl Jones type voice. Like that's what you have at your disposal right now. And so when you look at the psalmist and he's writing this, like I have learned to put my hope in your word. Like that's one of the places, right? New Testament, it's one of the places that we should be turning when we feel like we're in this place of despair. So when you're, when you're in that place of going, man, where? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to turn? Guess what? Man, open up the Bible app and let somebody read it to you, even if you don't feel like reading. Turn to his word. That's the inv- invitation that the psalmist is giving us in this moment. It's like, I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you. I have put my hope in your word. And what he's saying is, listen, I've traced your promises. And at this point, when the psalmist is writing this, by the way, five, five books of the Bible? right? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't have 66 books in all of these different languages, and like, he doesn't have that. He's got like five books, and one of them's Leviticus. Like, let's just throw that out there. In numbers, like he's just throwing out a bunch of family clans, but that's what he has, and he's saying, but I put my hope in your word. I put my hope in your promises, when I get to that place of despair, that's what I'm doing. So then he, he goes on, he mentions this. I long for the Lord, and, I, and more than centuries long for the dawn, more than centuries long for the dawn. He says it again, and, and I would jot these two things down um, in your notes. You got S- Psalm 42 and Psalm 63 are two other places where he mentions like this longing after the Lord. And so I think Psalm 42, it's, it's um, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. And a lot of you know that you used to sing that little chorus uh, in, in a church maybe that you grew up in at one time. But, but that's, that's part of what we're talking about. So the centuries type people, and I, I actually laugh at this a little bit. So there are these folks that are standing guard, and they're, they're, it's like the night shift. Has, has anybody ever worked the night shift? Like you're just like overnight, and, and what are you waiting for? Like, I'm waiting for 7 a.m. or 8 a.m., whatever time your shift got over. And that's essentially what he's saying. Like, the person that's working the night shift, the way that they're anticipating and waiting for the dawn of the day, that's how I long for you, O Lord. And you think about it. You think about what are the ways that you would describe. In fact, if you're someone who checks out our discipleship guide uh, that we put together, that's one of the questions that we're asking is, how would you describe the way that you long for the Lord? 
as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. As the centuries wait for the dawn, Lord, that's how I'm waiting and anticipating you. And then he wraps it up with this, verses 7 and 8. And then I have one statement, and we're going to sing our way out. O Israel, Old Testament, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. Unfailing love. Um, Psalm 136, by the way, again, discipleship guide. Uh, that's one of your readings for this, this week, if you're going to read. And it's Psalm 136, and he says, I'll praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise. He goes on and on about praise the Lord. Uh, and he says this, depending on the translation, your love endures forever, or your loving kindness endures forever. It's just this great picture. Hope in the Lord, for with him there is unfailing love. His redemption over overflows He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. So you you take that into your life today, right? Fast forward to the new covenant. And the same thing is true of you. The redemption of God's people brings freedom. Right? This this idea, the, the idea of redemption, it's a word we don't necessarily use a lot in our language, is it? But it's the idea of you're purchasing somebody's freedom. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that are happening around the world. It's one of the things I mentioned, but there are a lot of organizations that are out there and they're trying to set people free from sex trafficking. You know this? Like this is something that's very real that's out there in the world. And so that's, that's the idea of redemption. The idea of redemption is we're going to work to set people free, right, from this bondage that they're held in. Sometimes that bondage is the result of somebody else's sin, but we are going to purchase their freedom. And your, per- your freedom has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when, when you're looking at, like you read some of this stuff in the Old Testament sometimes, and you read some of the language that he's using, and he talks about Israel, and it's hard for you to wrap your head around, like, yes, there's an Old Covenant, and there's an Old Testament, but there's also this New Testament, and this New Covenant, and your freedom has been bought with a price, and the price was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Period. And so here it is. Here's my last statement. I started thinking about this, and I thought about the depths of despair, and it's this. The seemingly insurmountable distance between us and God caused by sin is bridged by the cross of Jesus. It's bridged by the cross of Jesus. And while it might seem to you that God is oh so far away, what you need to know is that he loved you so much. And they showed that Ecuador video. I don't know if you can read Spanish. But John 3.16 says that for God so loved, let's just make it personal, for God so loved you that he sent his one and only son so that whoever would choose to believe in him, to believe that he came for you, to believe that he hung on a cross for you, to believe that he was mocked and spit upon for you, to believe that he was beaten for you, to believe that he breathed his last for you, to believe that he was taken down off of that cross and he was placed in a tomb for you. God so loved you that much. So when you get to the depth of despair, 
you can cry out in the seemingly insurmountable distance between you and God in that moment caused by your sin is bridged in the cross of Jesus. And your heavenly Father is inviting you just to come into a relationship with him. It's like, you can, you can come to me. You, you can count on me. You can depend on me. You can trust me. You can talk to me. And in him, there is the forgiveness of all of your sins. There's nothing that you can do that outsins the grace of God. Because he so loved you that he sent Jesus for you. I'd love to pray for you for a moment. And then we're going to sing and conclude our time together this morning. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes and man, I just want to give a real quick invitation. And today, if the day is, today is the day that you want to choose to believe in Jesus. And maybe you've never done that before in your life. And today's the day. I'm just going to count to three. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand in the air. And then at the end of the service, if you'll catch me or one of our folks at the hub today and just have this conversation, we'd love to talk with you a little bit about what I believe is the greatest decision that you can ever make in your life. So the count of three, if that's anybody in the room, just slip your hand up. If you're watching online and that's you today, you just make a comment and Ben's right there. He would love to walk with you through that. Anybody on the count of three, just put your hand up. One, two, three. Anybody in the room? Thank you. Awesome. We have a few moments after the service. We'd love the chance to talk with you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our life. Thank you for the invitation that you give us that even in the depth of despair, God, that we can turn to you. Thank you that we can count on you, that we can trust you, that we can depend on you. Even when it seems like everything around us has fallen apart, God, we know that you're working and you're moving on our behalf for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing together as we close our time.